Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I would rather be than in your house, in this house, in your presence, oh Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. This afternoon I have been in and out of of, uh, this church house and uh, something just especially struck me this afternoon. And even as we gathered early for prayer, there was just such a sweet, palatable presence of God that was just in this empty building. It wasn't, uh, there was not a hollowness to it. I don't know how to explain it. Just the sweet presence of the Lord. My mind went back to something I heard many times as a child growing up. I heard my mother tell this story and a couple of my aunts share the story of the embryonic years of this church's existence. My grandparents uh, were trying to get a toehold in this gospel in this community. And it was a season of time. I don't know how long, but during this season of time, my grandmother one night was so discouraged that she didn't even come to church. And uh, there was a guest speaker that evening and on the way home my grandfather confessed to this guest speaker that he was himself so discouraged that he had considered just kind of packing it all up and whoever I'm sure he wasn't nameless and faceless then but time and circumstances has eroded those details I never heard a name never had a face to associate with this story but whoever that nameless and faceless individual to me was said to my grandfather, he said, Brother Tumman, as long as you can feel the sweet presence of the Lord that we felt tonight, you need to stay. And I'm so glad they stayed. I'm not foolish enough to think that the work of God would have stopped if they had left, but I'm just particularly thankful that they stayed because that kept me just a Sabbath day's journey. (laughs) That kept me just a Sabbath day's journey back to Jerusalem and I am so thankful for that. I believe those prayers are still being answered and when I shake the hands of first time guests, I know you're standing, when I shake the hands of first time guests and they say I appreciate the spirit of peace and what I feel. A few Sundays ago we had a a first time guest, they had never been here obviously before and before the service started, the person that brought them to church called me that Sunday afternoon and said, I just want to tell you that before church started, my aunt said, I can't stop crying. 
I don't know what happened to me. Once I stepped into this building, something just began to happen. Amen. They began to try to talk to them about the presence of the Lord. That's what you're feeling. That's what I feel here today. Amen. Let's pray over the word. Lord, I love you today. Thank you for your goodness and mercy. And I really appreciate the fact, God, that you have allowed us together here, but you didn't make us come alone. You have joined us in this journey. We're here this evening, and I pray that your word will just be ignited, that there will be a light, God, that will shine through it into our heart and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for being here tonight. I have asked the Lord, and I have been very intentional in this prayer today, multiple times. I've asked God to reward your effort to be here. I don't know what kind of whatever you had to wade through to get here, but you made it. And I have asked my God and your God to reward you for that. And I believe he will. Amen. I am just confident that he will do that this evening. We are now coming to the closing portion of the letter of James. Um, if my, I believe that we will close this in maybe just one more uh, lesson perhaps Sunday if the Lord be willing. But in uh, our last visit to this fifth chapter of James, James admonished the church concerning the dangers of speaking dishonestly and how that what we say should be truth and that uh, that our whole life and our future and the testimony of those that we even associate with should be kind of wrapped up in the integrity that we live with each and every day. And so he talked about those and the, that spoke dishonestly and underlined the importance of us being honest. Tonight we are going to continue, James is going to continue in his teachings about the things that we say, but tonight perhaps in a more positive light. I want to speak to you this evening from the subject, the prayers of the righteous. The prayers of the righteous. I hope you don't think ill of me when I tell you that I have often enjoyed just listening to other people pray. And I'm not trying to say word for word, trying to pick out who's sick in your family or who you're mad at, but I'm just talking about just hearing the prayers of the people, that collective voice. There have been times I have been guilty visiting other churches of not, I don't mean not participating in prayer, but sitting outside the prayer rooms and just listening to God's people pray. I have probably brought that into my adulthood from my childhood because I grew up as a child listening to my mother pray. My mother was a praying woman, not a perfect woman, I always try to insert that because I don't want you to think that I'm lifting anybody up or anyone up above their own frailties, but I grew up listening to my mother pray. And so I enjoy, uh, I enjoy hearing that. And so what I want to talk about tonight is the prayers of the righteous, the prayers, not self-centered prayers, me, 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 I, 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 mine, 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 but kingdom praying. Amen. James shifts 
to the kind of things that we ought to be doing with our words. He's talked a lot about things we shouldn't be doing with our words, but he kind of turns the focus, shifts the frame somewhat of our thinking. And so namely, James addresses two subjects, and that is that is prayer and praise. Up to this point, he has been, uh, there's been a lot of a time and a lot of attention that has been brought about the improper use of the tongue and things of that nature, but now he wants to kind of close out and talk to us about how we ought to use the gift of speech that God has given us. My goodness, I feel the Holy Ghost. <laughs> oh, I feel something in my heart today. Amen. The book of James chapter 5 and verse 13. The scripture says, Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Now, the word afflicted here is really referring to what we may call suffering. Is any suffering here? Is any suffering among you? And so he says, if you are suffering, I'm going to warn you here, it's a punch right in the nose. James says, if you're suffering, he said, then let him pray. Let him pray. It's a straightforward truth. It's a simple truth. Let him pray. Not long ago, and I don't want to digress here, but not long ago I was contacted by a, a, a minister friend's wife. We are close friends, and, and she was talking about some of the things they were going through and was just asking for some advice. And I just felt in the Holy Ghost that the advice that I should give her should be fundamental advice. Don't try to reach way beyond yourself. I just felt the Holy Ghost was trying to lead them and perhaps all of us tonight back to center. Amen. And let's talk about your prayer life. And let's talk about how much time you spend in the Word of God. Not just trying to get through a bread program or some kind of uh, organized reading effort, but how much time are we really spending in the Word of God just to visit His Word and then do something that the scripture admonishes us to do many times over, and that is meditate upon the word of God. Again and again, the psalmist David and other contributors to the book of Psalms ends many of their psalms and their quotes with an unusual word that says selah, which simply means pause and think about this. Just let this saturate and seep into the into the uh, the fabric of your life and your soul. I've shared uh, before many years ago, I read a book and, you know, a lot of times a, a book is something that you pick up and I don't mean you're trying to speed read, but many times we are trying to get through the book, kind of get to the end, get to the point. But the purpose of this book was to spend every day just reading one chapter to read no more at the author's admonition, read no more than one chapter, and then think about what you've read. I had the privilege during that period of time to share with a friend of mine. I, we both purchased the book, and I, I said, I want to just kind of toss something out to you. Let's do this. I said, I want you to read a chapter that day, and I'll read the same chapter that day, and I want you to write to me 
what you got out of that chapter and I'm going to write to you what I got out of that chapter. And we spent, I can't remember if it was 30 or 40 days reading through this book and just kind of batting this back and forth. Let some things soak into the fabric of who you are. That's my point. Not to just read through it and then and, and three days later we can't even kind of pull out a half a dozen words of that but let something get into our heart. And so I say, Lord, help us to understand the value of the fundamental things that we were taught, many of us in Sunday school, those fundamental things of just relationship. And so if you are suffering, James doesn't come along with some big encyclopedia and lay it on the desk and open it up and try to find some remedy to what's going on with you. He said, pray. (laughs) Pray. Several years ago, my one and only trip out of the country in Guatemala with our men, I had a medical issue while I was there and I had to go to more than one pharmacy and it was just such a strange journey to be there in a city where there was no computers and nothing of that nature. And when I tell you, when I'm fixing to illustrate to you, I promise before God that I am not exaggerating. When they started trying to look up my condition, there were books about this thick. I didn't even know they made books. They just set them up there and laid them open and they're trying to thumb through and figure out what's wrong with me. I thought, oh my Lord. Oh my Lord. James doesn't pull out that book. He doesn't scroll down through anything. He said, if you're suffering, pray. Amen. Many times we try everything else. (laughs) We try to work it out on our own. We try to reason it out. We try to make sense of it all. In many cases, we throw every resource we have available to us at it. That's right. Amen. And, and, and many times we wear ourselves out in the process of all of the above. But James just said, if you are suffering, pray. The meaning of the use of the word pray here is very important because it is not an instruction to pray one time, but it is to return to prayer again and again and again. Sometimes we pray about it and the next morning when it's still sitting on our front porch, we resort back to our own effort, strength and resources. Amen. But, But we need to pray and then pray again. The scripture says pray without ceasing. Amen. We pray until something in that situation changes. We pray until something happens. I saw Brother Fears, I think it was the other day, wearing a hat that had the the word push, an acronym, pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. I just believe that was more than a hat for the man I'm talking about tonight. Pray until something happens. When we pray, we surrender our situation to God. And then when we surrender it to God, it becomes God's problem. (laughs) Amen, it becomes God's problem. And so as we continue to pray about God's problem, we express our, our, our faith in him and the fact that it is in his hands. But when we take it back and we endeavor to work it out on our own, we reestablish at that moment our repossession of our problem. We have wrestled it out of the hand of God and we have taken it back again. And so James is saying that we ought to put it in God's hand and leave it in God's hand. And you're looking at a man tonight that understands the difficulty of what I just said. 
We place it in God's hand at those mushy moments. <laughs> Man, we just kind of feel like it's forever placed there. We brush the dust of that situation off and we walk away. But it's not hours before we're peering over to see how God's doing with it. Can I get a witness? <laughs> the next group James addresses are those that are merry. The International Standard Version of the Bible translate that word, translates that word Married to be cheerful. So James seems to be covering the whole gamut, doesn't he? He's talking about those that are suffering, the afflicted, and those that are cheerful. And chances are, right now, you're either suffering or you're cheerful or you're somewhere in that muddy middle. <laughs> My son was, was listening to a man the other night. It's a gentleman we follow on YouTube. He's pretty crafty and we like to watch him construct well things and different things and so he was having to be he just made a mention of some boots that he was buying he said there's and so Justin shared this with me he said there's two things that I never cheat on and he said he said when you're buying your bed and when you're buying your shoes because if you're not in one you're in the other <laughs> I never heard anybody quite put it that way but it was it, it sort of made perfect sense to me so he said, don't skimp on those two things, if skimp's a word. Amen. So to be cheerful, he said, those that are cheerful should sing songs. I think a proper response to bad times in our life should certainly be prayer, and a proper response in good times in our life ought to be praise, because both are forms of prayerfulness, and both of them produce positive results in our lives. I, I, I'm not implying that there's only been one time that my wife has ever has ever encountered anything like this, but one time in particular, I remember she was going through a a, 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 a seeming very very particular stormy season of her life, and and the Lord had laid on her heart early on in this situation that she was going to have to praise her way out. Now that's very cool if God tells you that and it's Sunday morning and everybody's here and the band is hot. I mean, we give God a thumbs up. When you're going to praise your way, I got it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> because the windows are shaking. Everybody's great. But when you have to praise your way out of that and it's Monday afternoon, Amen. But I remember walking in our house, and I don't want to embarrass her, but I remember walking in our house more than one time, hearing her in the kitchen or in other rooms in our house, praising her way out of that situation. And I say that tonight just by mere way of testimony. Amen. It, it, I believe that these are positive things in our lives and they will help us. This is not a remedy that just may work. It just may work. The, the use of the word psalms, to be clear, was not intended to just be restrictive to the songs that come from the book that bears its name, but the Greek form of the word psalm is translated and it simply means a song of some kind. A song of some kind. That's kind of painting with a pretty broad brush. And again, I don't think it odd, but I'm going to tell you at times in my own personal private prayer and my own personal times of praise, I've just made up songs while I was praying because they were words that seemed applicable to the situation that I was in. 
I wasn't asking you to come in and grade the song or whether or not you think it's gonna make it to the charts. Amen, it was just something that came from my heart. It was just, it just applied to where I was in this season of my life. Amen, in truth, most of the songs that we sing are the byproduct of a situation that people were walking through at that particular time and season of their life when God placed those words on their heart. Now, I want you to please understand, I'm not just trying to drop a name here tonight. I wanna share a personal story. Several years ago, Sister Boyd and I were privileged to spend some personal one-on-one time over a period of a few days with Carol and Priscilla Magruder. It was during that visit that they began to share with us, she more specifically, about the backstory to the song that she wrote, a song entitled Heaven's Point of View. I can never ever hear that song. I, I realized that day that she was sharing this with us, I realized that I would never be able to hear the opening lines of this song ever again without my mind being taken back to the very graphic and vivid picture that she was painting in our minds as she began to share what God was doing in their life at that particular time. Those opening words, those few words simply say this, today I faced a mountain that I have no strength to climb and the struggle of this journey has left me weak both in body and in mind. Where I stand to the peak is a distance on my own I cannot reach. So this journey of a thousand steps begins right here on my knees. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. In heartbreaking detail, they spoke of the pain that was in their life that gave birth to the words of that song. In my mind, I was sharing this with my wife before church. In my mind, I can so clearly see how she described where she stood in their church when God began to give her those words. I'm gonna tell you how crystal clear and crisp it was in my mind. I've never been to their church, but as they described the outbuilding, uh, the, the gymnasium where she was walking and praying, I'm gonna tell you in my mind, I don't know that I've got a clear picture of what it really was, but I know what came to my mind. And when I hear that song playing on the radio or wherever, amen, I hear and I see those words as she began to share that story. And so I'll tell you today that a lot of good things have come out of some hard hardships in life. And that's a song among millions that continues to bless countless people today. And so before we think, man, I wish I could be the author of one of those songs that would make the charts. I wish I could be the author of one of those songs that would that would sell so many of these CDs or these DVDs, can I tell you? Amen. It wasn't on the mountaintop where the God gave her that song or gave them that song, but it was in a valley of despair. But thank God they didn't pack it all up and thank God they didn't pack it all in. Thank God they didn't say well this is just too much and more than I can bear but somehow they reached down and grabbed something deeper in them than they even thought was there and said I believe that I will give this a song. I believe that I will praise and I will worship and I will magnify God. 
Hallelujah. I don't want to spend too much time here, but I was at a conference many years ago and a singer-songwriter, many of you would know, was talking about another dark, desperate time, a different singer, different songwriter, another dark, desperate time they were going through in their family. And he said at the end of a very tumultuous confrontation, the Lord said, I want you to pick up your guitar and I want you to write this song. And he so transparently said, tonight, God, please not tonight, God. I can't do it tonight. It's not in me tonight. And the Lord said, pick up your guitar and pick up your pen. And that night he picked up his guitar and not just his pen, he opened his mouth and began to sing the song that God gave him. We would all want to sing the song and we would love to have our name in the bottom of the credits, but nobody would want to go through the valley that it took to give birth to it. James said, if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Verse number 14, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We find references to prayer for the sick throughout the ministry of Jesus and really continuing throughout the book of Acts. This verse, however, specifically addresses not just the sick in general, but I want to remind you that James is writing to the church. And so James is addressing believers that are sick. And so there is a proactive responsibility that is given to us as believers. A sick believer is to initiate the ministry of the elders by, the scripture says, calling. Or by informing and invite their ministry into your life. And so that alone is a step of faith. And so James has placed a lot of emphasis on the fact that without works, faith is dead. And so there has to be some kind of proactiveness here because genuine faith is going to express itself. And so there, that, that's the case that, we're, that James is addressing. Their faith is going to compel them to seek out elders to pray. But sometimes we want to just sit back and wait see if somebody's going to call or come if somebody's going to come is this alright it's kind of gives you it's kind of like the devil's kind of set up an opportunity here let me just see who all cares when really we're off base many 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 years ago over a hundred years ago My wife and I were on vacation and we got back home and somebody indignantly met me in the foyer and said, did you pray for me Thursday? My mind is racing a thousand miles an hour. Did I forget something? I'm, and I, you know, was there a surgery or, I mean, I just, I'm, I just, your, your mind's running in milliseconds, you know. And I said, I didn't know you were sick. They said, well, your granddaddy would have known it. <laughs> well, 
I don't know what to say about that. I was out of tune on the Lord's day, I guess. And if we're not careful, the enemy will set up circumstances like that. Was that was that too heavy for a Wednesday night? I probably should have saved that for tomorrow afternoon at two when nobody was here and just come over here and told that story. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that we can let something get in our heart and our lives, but James is clear. If you're sick, you need to initiate that step of faith and call and let that faith be expressed. I'm gonna, amen. Let's kind of reel it all back in and go back to the word. What do you say? When the truth of the matter is, if the, really the truth of the matter is is that we're all wrapped in frail flesh and, and, and we need to know. And there have, been, there have been times, I'm not proud to say this, but there have been so times I've been so busy being the preacher and so busy being the pastor and so busy being the spiritual leader, my wife has had to say, would you pray for me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we could do that. I need you to pray for me. And she was exercising the scripture. I should have exercised more faith and prayed for her ahead of the time. But are you just, I'm just being real now tonight, just being real. We've all been there. Amen. So there, the elders of the church, the Bible, the, James says, call for the elders of the church. Now, the elders of the church in, in, in a more modern setting are pastors and preachers and teachers and those that are mature in their walk with God. I'm, thankfully, uh, we've got a lot of people in our church here that help us in prayer and and uh, so as a pastor, I can't and I should not have to pray every prayer that is prayed. We need to have faith in the elders of the church. If somebody else can pray, I understand the role that, that I have here in the church. I get that. But what I'm saying is that we have people that are capable of praying for you in a hospital room and, and they're capable of praying for you in this assembly and capable of praying for you in a, in, a in your home. Amen. And, I, and we have to understand that principle. And as a church, you do. And I thank you for that, to release us from that. Because the prayer of a sick person is supposed to be is supposed to be administered by according to scripture anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now this is very very specific. The sick should call for the elders of the church. The elders of the church should anoint them with oil and call on the name of the Lord. And I'm going to explain all this or at least underline all of this throughout the Old Testament people were anointed with oil to symbolize the coming of something very significant spiritually upon their lives. For instance, kings were commonly anointed with oil to indicate the presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon them because of their divine choice. David was anointed with oil. Saul was anointed with oil. It was to signify something specific. Many have questioned the significance of the anointing oil. And so I want to clear that up if I can. There is nothing mystical, nothing magical, and there is nothing spiritual about this oil that we use to anoint the sick. Amen. It is the power of obedience. I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. Now, I don't understand how I can flip that switch and the lights come on, but I'm not gonna fret over what I don't understand and not enjoy it. I'm gonna enjoy what I do know 
I do know that if you hook this wire to that wire and you do the right breaker, I know that it'll all come on and it'll all work well. I don't understand it, but it is obedience. It is obedience in all honesty. I don't understand, and it doesn't really make sense to my human mind how you can just immerse somebody in water and their sins, their sins would be remitted and washed away. But again, can I tell you, like this is not the oil, amen, the water is not the point. The water is the same water that comes out of our water fountain. It's the same water that we water the yard with. It's the, it's the same water that we use in the kitchen to cook with. Amen, what makes the difference is the name that is invoked. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is the invocation of that name. I now baptize you in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I now baptize you in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin. It is that physical response of faith. That response turns amen what's happening right there into a conduit through which the spirit of God can flow. Amen. When we lay our hands on you, anoint you with oil, amen, that becomes not about the oil, it becomes about the obedience, that obedience becomes conduit through which the spirit of the Lord can flow and if you're ever healed, it won't be these hands that heal you Raise your hand, Brother Jerry. If you're ever healed, it won't be that hand that healed you. Brother Everett, raise your hand. It it won't be that hand that heals you, Brother Chris. Amen. It won't be that hand that heals you, Brother Bobby Gibson. It will not be that hand that heals you, Brother Williams. It will not be those hands that heal us. Those hands just become conduit for the power and the spirit and the anointing and the authority of God to move through. Yes, it does. My, 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 my. Praise God. Amen. We need to call on that name. Praise God. James, I've said this, used this phrase many times throughout this series. James understood his audience. He knew who he was talking to. <laughs> and so the mindset of every Hebrew was that someone's name was so closely associated with that person that it became almost identical to who they were. And so to call upon the name of Jesus was to invoke the person of Jesus Christ. And so to anoint in the name of the Lord in the mind of a Hebrew was to anoint in the Lord's stead (laughs) on his behalf with his authority. And so can I tell you tonight that when we lay hands on the on the sick, whether it's in this house, in a personal house, in a hospital room, we are standing in God's stead and we are standing with God's authority and can I tell you that the Lord the Lord will move through your hands amen, you don't have to be a minister of the gospel per se as a pulpit minister because I believe there are many people in this house that are qualified amen, to lay hands on the sick and God can use your hands and your faith and the invocation of his name by your voice to heal and to touch their situation because there's power in the name of the Lord. Praise God. The point is that if the sick are to be touched, it will be by God and not by those that are praying. We're, we're, we're just the mouthpiece. You're just, you're, just, you're just the person in the middle. You have so little to do with it, it's not funny. Amen, just a conduit. I don't possess the power to heal, but I serve a God who does. Now on this subject of healing, it's a broad subject and not one that I am going to try to broach this evening, but I will tell you that it is quite a mystery and I think if you understand anything, you understand enough to agree with that. 
because sometimes God just heals the body entirely and instantly. I've just watched it happen too many times. Other times, I've watched God just simply strengthen the spirit of a person to make it a few more miles. Amen. I know we don't shout quite as loud about that one as we do that total healing thing. But sometimes God just kind of takes his hand and he just lifts up the spirit of the afflicted and they just keep marching forward. Amen. But either way, we invoke his name. And either way, the recipients of those prayers are touched. The Bible says in verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. The phrase, the, 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 phrase, the prayer of faith is a continuation of the whole discussion of faith and works because genuine faith will result in some action. In this case, it is the action of prayer. The prayer of faith, I want to be real clear here, is not a reference to some magical or mystical way of praying. It's not the words you use or the you know your, how you do your voice or anything like that. It's not the kind of you know this kind of prayer opposed to that kind of a prayer. It's just the prayer that comes as a natural response to faith, the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith. The emphasis then is not on how much faith a person has or how he prays, but the emphasis is on the fact that the elders are people of faith and as such, they pray, pray. And then the, and then the verse goes on to say, and the Lord shall raise him up. I believe another aspect to consider in all of this are a couple of scriptures found in First John chapter 5. And so I want to go there real quickly and we'll come back to this. But 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And we, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Of course, this is all within the context of his will. But the prayer of faith is a prayer that is consistent with the will of God so that's why we can interject that will of God. Because if we really have faith, and if we are really praying a prayer of faith, it is going to be a prayer that is in line with the word of God and the will of God. Now, we don't always know the will of God, so that's why we pray in such a manner that we ask God, according to his will, heal this. According to your will, do that. According to your will, because we don't know what tomorrow holds. You know, Ezekiel thought the best thing, the best day of his life, Ezekiel thought the most wonderful prayer he ever got answered was the prayer to give him more time in his life. It turned out to be not such a good thing, right? So we don't know how to pray in those situations. I've been in those circumstances. I didn't know what to do, but I was thankful that I served, thankful that I served a God that knew what to do. Amen. It's evident that we're not guaranteed that God is going to just answer everything like we think he should answer it. Paul is a living example of that among many other 21st century patriarchs of the word of God who sought the Lord multiple times for a relief in his body 
in his flesh, but he never received his healing. But instead of getting bitter and bent out of shape and all twisted up about that, he focused on what God was doing in the process of all that junk, whatever it may have been he was going through. And he said, I'm gonna rather glory in this than just get it bent out of shape about that. I'm gonna let God use me, amen. And so there's often an uplifting of the soul, even when healing doesn't immediately follow. As I mentioned a moment ago, sometimes God just kind of undergirds and gives us strength to go another day and so the promise of this verse is this the prayer of faith administered by elders in the name of the Lord accompanied with oil will bring on new strength to the weary amen and the Lord says they're going to be raised up (laughs) praise God here's how much faith I have tonight I I have faith that you're going to be raised up a little higher when you go home than you were when you got here Amen, because there's something about coming together and the spirit of God, amen, the Lord will raise him up. James 5 and 16, confess your faults one to another and pray pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, I wanna make a couple of things clear, I hope. The commandment here is not to encourage people to just kind of randomly make public confessions about your personal sins. Um, this commandment, in general, we are instructed in Scripture to confess our sins to the Lord. If we are, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now, I believe that this passage has merit in that we need to have people in our life that can you that you and I can join with to pray about certain things that we may be going through. I have preached for years and I have practiced for years accountability partners in our life. And I know to some people that's just a loose language that they use. Here's here's what to me a real accountability partner is. I believe that, that if I say I have an accountability partner, my wife ought to know who it is and she ought to have his number. <laughs> some of you really understand what I'm saying there. Because if I just have this little accountability partner that's just kind of a mystical figure that works real good in a sermon but don't play out real good in real life, then I'm doing myself no good. But she needs to know who accountability partners are in my life. She needs to know how to get a hold of them and she needs to have the freedom to call them at any moment and say, you know what, he's doing it again. I'm just seeing if you're listening. You may not have been listening a while ago, but you're listening right now. You're listening right now. We need to have people in our life that, that we can lean on. And I want to I be real, very, very clear because we need to really use discretion and wisdom in situations like this. Now, I'm, I'm going to use kind of maybe a far out bizarre example just to make a point. But if you and your wife are having problems, you don't need an accountability partner that's another lady to confess what all you and your wife are going through. Because what if she has faults too? Page three. (laughs) We need to use discretion in those situations. Amen? And have people that, as a matter of fact, the safest place to share most of that stuff with is not only with Holy Ghost-filled friends, but spiritual leaders and elders in the church. 
Amen. I, I want to I know what I'm talking to somebody about is in a safe place. I don't want to hear about that next Wednesday. I don't want to read about that on Facebook <laughs> in shadowed comments. <laughs> I want to know that I've laid that in a safe place. Confess our faults, not sins. Confess our faults one to another. Amen. Now, I, I, I say that for many reasons, but I think the ultimate reason is found in this scripture. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray for another, one another. And here's why I said all that I said above, that ye may be healed. Because see, this is not about getting something off your chest. And this is not about just sharing to be sharing. But we need to be able to talk to people about things that we're going through that we may be healed. You don't want to talk to somebody about something that they're going to use against you later. <laughs> There's going to be no healing in that. Don't beat me to death with my own bat. At least go buy your own. <laughs> don't beat me to death with my own peril. Because we're after that we may be healed. I want to be able to know that, is this all right? I want to be able to know that what I'm talking about here, I'm putting that in the hands of somebody that can help me get healed. I don't want to just talk about it to be talking about it, but I want to be talking about it to get an answer, to get over this. And and I've said so many times before here and other places that we don't need to just keep asking God to forgive us for things. We need to ask God to deliver us from some things. Let's get past this. Let's get beyond. Let's get beyond this. Amen. So as a result, God, sometimes the Lord, we know according to scripture, chastises those that he loves us. And, and sometimes it's because we have let things creep into our life. Let's just be honest. We've just let things come in our life and, and every now and then the Lord just kind of just has to take us to the woodshed. I don't know any other way to put it. The Lord just has to kind of take us around behind the house and we gotta have a one-on-one. Because we got to get this hammered out because we let things in our life that just shouldn't be there. Amen. And so what happens to that? What happens with that? Is that God just kind of picking on us because he's bigger than us? No. It's that we might be healed. That we might be. I'm so glad that my mother and my father stopped me from certain behaviors. They healed me of that. <laughs> yes, they did. Because I see grown people that still pitch tantrums and throw fits and just act like they're 12 years old. And my mother says, if you don't get up off that floor, I'm gonna get down there and throw a fit with you. And I didn't think she thought that we were just gonna kind of do that in unison. I figured out it was gonna be may the best man win. And she didn't weigh but 90 pounds, but she was winning. Winning. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking about her tonight. God rest her soul, Amen but that we may be healed. And so I'm glad some people called me out and said, you're not going to act like that. One more story and I'm gonna move on. But I told my wife not long ago, I said, I'm so thankful for the friends that we have in our life that hold us to a higher level of accountability. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that because I feel like in my heart, I'm confident in my heart that if I pull just some stunts, I've got friends that would call me up and say, hey, we need to talk. 
I'm glad I have friends that that I might be healed, that I might be healed. They're holding me to a higher level. They're not gonna let me meander down that path. They're not gonna let me go there, but they're gonna reel me back in. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Amen. The effectual, finally, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It goes back now to prayer and faith that we discussed earlier. The emphasis is not on some special formula. The emphasis is not on some certain wording of prayer. The emphasis in this case is on a righteous person. A righteous man can pray a prayer, the scripture says, that availeth much. The Greek for availeth much, the Greek for that phrase accurately means hath much force. (laughs) I've been around people that prayed prayers that had much force. Powerful prayers. Prayer that can be prayed by a righteous man. Uh, let, let me let me hasten here if I can. Amen. I believe that, that the word fervent speaks about passion. The prayer of a righteous man has force, but it has to be effective and it has to be fervent. And so fervent speaks about having passion. Fervent fashion fervent fervent rather passionate prayer flows from the wellspring of faith. Amen. Effective. Amen, effective, that's so key. We need to pray effective prayers. Amen. Finally, James leads us to an example of this. He leaves us, he leaves his audience. He knows again his audience and he knows that who he's writing to understands history and knows Elijah, Elias. He said he was a man subject to like passions in chapter five and verse 17. To like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Now the original readers of James were well acquainted with this man by the name of Elijah, a Hebrew prophet. God used him to work miracles. But James wants to under, wants them to understand something that I want all of us to understand tonight and I want me to see it more clearly and that is that Elijah was a man subject to passions as we are. What James was trying to say was he was just a man. I don't want to pull him off of Mount Carmel in your mind. I don't want to trash and, and try to degrade or tarnish his ministry. But James was trying to say he was just like you. And that is the message tonight. None of us feel like we are that righteous person. Amen. He was a man that had a nature just like ours. His ability to work miracles was not because he was some super spiritual person or some superhuman person. His prayers were powerful because they were lined up with a formula that we have been talking about tonight. He was a righteous man. He was fervent. He was sincere. As a matter of fact, when you read the prayer of Elijah, I used to remember how many words the prayer was, but if you read the prayer of Elijah on Mount Carmel, that, I mean that famous prayer, it's just a few words. It's, it's, it's not earth shattering but it was enough to bring down fire to consume the altar, the sacrifice. Amen, he asked with specific confines of the will of God. He prayed earnestly, incredible things happened. Can you imagine, he prayed one prayer and the sky closed up its rain for three years and six months. He prayed again and the heavens opened and poured out and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah's prayers both created and ended a devastating three and a half year drought. There's power in prayer. 
I want to ask you to stand and musicians, you can just stay where you are. We'll close differently tonight. So much of James, his focus has been on words. The words of our mouth, the words that we speak. I've been so encouraged by words, haven't you? I'm not talking about frail words that kind of prop up egos. I'm talking about just true words that have just been spoken right into our spirit that kind of reset the trajectory and realign the compass and just words, just a few words. But I can tell you that I've also been nearly destroyed just like you. They are so powerful. We have to be so careful what we're saying and how we say it. When our son was young, my wife would have to catch me sometimes. She said, it's not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. You're right. You're right. But it's how you're saying it. In our case, in particular, it's where my eyebrows were on my forehead. It, it mattered. Lower them. Get them in a normal position. Say it again. What you're saying is right, but it's the way you say it. Words have the ability to lift, and words have the ability to tear down. Wow. Life and death. All right there all right there and sometimes we so glibly just sit around and talk and we set people up and we tear people down and I'm telling the truth right now and we think nothing about judging situations from a distance and we shred them if we think they need to be shredded and we solidify them if we think they need to be solidified the power of the tongue. And James is saying, hey, 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 hey. Be careful. Be careful. I've quoted it countless times because it impacted my life and I hope that it impacts yours as well. A counselor was talking about addressing children. He said, you speak to the king and the king will stand. You speak to the king and your child and the king will rise. You speak to the fool and your child and the fool will rise. And there's a lot of truth to that. You're so dumb. You're so mean. You're so ugly. You just keep feeding that. And after a while, that fool will stand up for you. Amen. And I believe that we ought to speak things into people's lives positively. Praise God. I'm not talking about superficial pats on the back. I think you get that. Amen. We need to speak because we've got life and death in our mouth. And James is really drilling down on it. Praise God. You've been so patient tonight in this whole series and I trust that it has been a blessing to you. We will make one more visit to the book of James and we will close it out but I pray that God will touch us. Amen. Let's lift our hands, our hearts open toward the Lord tonight. God, I love you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. 
We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.